midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are going through each episode of Call the Midwife one by one, without spoilers. I am Jan Moffat. I am Dr. Paula Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. Today we'll be talking about Season 1 or Series 1, Episode 3. What is the difference between Season 1 and Series 1? In the UK they're called Series. In the in US and Canada they're called Seasons. So like, Fall is my favorite series of the year? Yeah, absolutely. That's I, think, what, I assume that's what they say. I assume it is. Well, they eat their muffins that are actually English muffins. They just call them muffins. They just call them muffins. <laughs> Can I have a muffin? They'll give you a, an English muffin. Exactly. Last time I did the this week we're talking about... Yeah, I, I left space for you. You didn't do it. <laughs> should, I, should I do that forever? Huh. This time you just did it, but maybe from going forward I'll do it, because then there's more of a back and forth. True story. Are we keeping all this in? Making decisions right here on the air. You heard it here first, folks. Welcome to episode three. All right, let's get into the nursing cap recap. I'm going to stop saying that. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, you could say, I feel like it's too much. Nursing cap recap, you could just, like, nursing cap and then go. But it doesn't (laughs) entirely make... Do we need to re- just restart this entire thing? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. Mature Jenny narrates that her eyes were beginning to open and she was getting bolder, as we see her teasing a couple who has clearly come from a rendezvous. Jenny joins the nuns and nurses at breakfast as Fred says he has a new venture. Sister Julianne gives Jenny the task of looking after Mr. Collett, who needs his legs cared for three times a week. Sister Evangelina and Chummy head out on bikes and run into Constable Noakes. Constable Noakes and Chummy flirt as Sister Evangelina rolls her eyes. Jenny goes to Mr. Collett's apartment and finds it very messy. He offers her a cup of tea from a dirty mug, and when she says that she'd prefer something cold, he offers her alcohol, which she also doesn't take. They talk about his family, who are all dead in different wars. Jenny has compassion and offers to come back later for a drink. In the clinic, Ted and Winnie Lawson arrive. Ted is very excited, but Winnie is not and seems to be in shock at being 36 weeks pregnant. Jenny visits Mr. Collett in the evening, and he talks about how much he loves where he lives. Trixie visits Winnie and chats with her about Ted and tells how they are both married before, and Winnie married Ted out of convenience and security. She's upset about something, but won't say what. Ted appears, having read up in all the childbirth books. Mr. Collett and Jenny talk about love and his past, but when she goes to pick up a plate, a swarm of bugs crawl out. She goes back to relate the story to the other nurses, and they're familiar with the situation. Sister Julianne admonishes Jenny for her overreaction. So we start off with, like, the mature Jenny voiceover Mm -hmm. and Jenny riding through the streets and both of them together are like what a contrast in the third episode jenny is already like part of this community yeah absolutely and the first like it did not take her long in showtime like mm-hmm. how much time it took in real or it did not take her li- long in our time mm-hmm. in her time it may have taken a long time but like episode three she is part of this community part of this neighborhood knows what where she is is and what she's at right yeah. and it really shows how like this couple emerges like from a rundown rubble building, like doing up their clothes and like, Oi, what are you looking at? And Jenny's like, Oh, don't tease. You might be coming to see me soon. And so like she can, it didn't take long for her to give as good as she gets. Like she's fitting in with like, this is the way people treat each other in this neighborhood. And this is the way I need to treat them in order to fit in, be a part of it and like understand this world. So I really like, it's just a tiny moment, but it really shows her, fitting in more 
and the voiceover from Mature Jenny, Jenny says that her eyes are open, and I didn't even really catch it until your recap right now, but this is an episode all about seeing and not seeing. Mm-hmm. And I'll have more to say about that maybe in the end of everything, Yeah. but this is the first of it. Like, her eyes are open, and we're starting with seeing. Mm-hmm. She's seeing things she didn't see before. Yeah, absolutely. That's what this episode is about, what yeah. you see and what you don't see and what you choose not to see. Mm-hmm. I love Sister Monica Joan quoting Virgil in Latin and Sister Evangelina, like, hating it. Yeah, it's too early for Virgil. Not only for the ignorant, yes. Sister Monica Joan, and it's just like, I don't know, I can't decide whose side I'm on, but I love their bickering, frankly. <laughs> Me too. This, this whole uh, morning scene is cut from the Netflix version. Oh, really? As we've discussed in our last episode, the Netflix version and the BBC version are different. So uh, in the Netflix version, Jenny comes home and Sister Julianne sends her out right away. So we don't hear about hmm. Fred or the Virgil quote or Jenny bringing in all the meat from a butcher that she's delivered a butcher's baby. Yeah, and brings in, and she brings says, in half a cow. cow. Oh, yeah, half a cow. It's not actually half a cow, but and it's it is, a lot of meat. Yeah, and it is a way, like, the midwives are now under the NHS, as we've heard, and so they're delivering these babies for free to these women, of course, but people still feel grateful and compelled to pay, and so it's this bartering system where the, you know, the butcher can't pay in money, but he pays in meat because he knows that the sisters he, might need some meat. And he can't pay in money not because he doesn't have any, but because it's inappropriate, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that all throughout this show of the gratitude of people being paid in stuff, whether it's a cup of tea or a drink or some meat, like it's anything. And we have Fred, the wheeler and dealer again. I've said this already, but I feel like he gets less of a wheeler and dealer as he goes forward. You think think you don't agree. I think you're going to be surprised at how long he stays like this. (laughs) But he is like, I got some scheme and you're never going to know it. And then they all leave. You're not not such a fool as you all thought I was. Oh, I'm talking to an empty room. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think that shows too the like, this contra, this, um, juxtaposition of men and women in this world is these women are like they're off to do their practical work and let the men fancy about it's a different world it's true we do see and this isn't this isn't the first and it won't be the last time that we see that contrast the women on this show are uh practical down to earth yeah yeah well i mean winnie and ted you see that too they got stuff to do Mm there and they're like the romantics on this show tend to be men. Yeah, absolutely. Romantics, both in the positive and in the negative sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I like Chummy almost hitting Constable Nopes. Nopes. I called him Constable Nopes. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Don't hit me with a bicycle, please. But Chummy almost hitting him and being like, no harm done. And not saying out loud, this time. This time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love like, to like they're they flirt back and forth or like you know very kind like how are you how are you but how are you but how are you kind you're of looking flirting. well you're looking very well yes. you're looking very well and sister evangelina is just like i'm so glad i took vows <laughs> she like is having none of it she is happy to be a nun and is like <laughs> my favorite part of that little on. moment is when chummy tries to like bond with Mr. Evangelina. They're like, why did, why did I say that? He'll think I'm so foolish. And I'm like, you are barking up the wrong tree, chummy. Sister Evangelina is not going to commiserate about how hard it is to talk to men. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So Jenny goes to see Mr. Collett, uh, call me Joe, as he says. <laughs> and she never does. And she never does, yep. That's a common theme on this show, that they always are calling them Mr. and Mrs. Mm-hmm. They um, they have this conversation where he's used to be a soldier and not in World War One or World War Two, but the Boer War. The Boer War ended in nineteen o two. By the way, his son ninety nine to nineteen o two. There you go. His sons died in the Great War, which would be World War One, and then his wife died in the Blitz, World War Two. So he has this, you know, this spreading out of wars, where it's. 
sad because you know he loses everyone he you know is injured himself and then loses his sons and then loses his wife and it's just like war has taken everything from him but he's also still proud to be a soldier and cheerful and and like mm-hmm. the boar war the what she's there for is treating ulcers on his legs which are the result of bullet wounds mm-hmm. from that war yeah so like he's literally still bleeding from that war yeah exactly just like if you want to talk about the war taking things from him mm-hmm. he's literally still bleeding from it yeah and he offers her tea that she is disgusted by the mug yeah, it's is dirty. that like, because the mug is dirtier, it seems like the cream doesn't, or the milk doesn't mix into the tea, which makes it look like the water's cold. Maybe that too. Maybe that also? I don't know, either way, like, it might be the milk, I think also the, like, the milk might be curdled. Anyway, either way, it's a disgusting cup of tea. Uh, so she asks for a cold drink, which to which he, he interprets to mean, like, whiskey, or whatever he offers her. Or which, whatever that is. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what it is. Um, yeah, they drink it the whole episode, and I never really quite get a look at the label. Did you? No. I thought it, I thought it was either sherry or whiskey. The way the cups that they drink it out of make me think sherry. A little crystal, like, mini yeah. goblets. Yeah, those aren't whiskey glasses. Yeah. For sure it's not whiskey. It'd be mm. something like sherry. Yeah. Some kind of sweet wine. Fortified wine. Mm-hmm. So then we see uh, Ted and Winnie Lawson. Yes. Um, coming in and... Does everyone... Everyone, like, stares at them when they walk in. Is that because they're old or because they know something about them that we're going to learn in the rest of the episode? No, I would say it's because they're old and because, and because Ted is there. Right. None of the other women have their husbands there. So yeah. This is not a place where men come. Yeah, it's a place where women like, come on their own. So enthusiastic yeah. and so over the moon about how he's gonna have a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like, uh, not all is not well here. No, exactly. <laughs> because you never have someone enthusiastic about a baby that then turns out on a show <laughs> <laughs> that then everything turns out with no complications. How it's often does true. that happen? It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Winnie. I can't remember how... Did she say she's 42? I think... 40-something, yeah. 40-something. And she has other kids. We learn later that she has other kids that are grown. Although we still like, in the last episode, a 40-year-old mother. Yeah, exactly. And so I was, uh, that's what I was going to say, is this is not actually as uncommon as she, th- she seems to think it is, or embarrassing, or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, we learn later why she's so distressed, but... But it's, like... So it's the presence of him... Not their age that makes mm. everybody turn. Yeah, yeah that makes I sense. Think so, well, and he he is the only man there. Yeah, exactly. This is very much a woman's space. And then, I wonder, like, I feel like you your answer in the recap was it's because she has compassion. But like, why does Jenny go back with Joe? Because she doesn't seem to have enjoyed herself very much the first time. Hmm. You know, she likes him, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think when he starts talking about his family, she realizes the extent of his loneliness. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess that she just sees something. That's my Yeah, that's my explanation. She has compassion for his loneliness, and so goes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Back in the sister, uh, back in the uh, uh, Winnie and Trixie mm-hmm. story, and Trixie, like, I mean, and Winnie just tells Trixie, you know, I didn't marry him for love. And it's like, I know, I guess this is a thing. People share their, bear their souls to the midwives and nurses, but like, it seems like quite a thing to just like, hi, we met yesterday. I don't love my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, but I mean. It also feels like that is a more common occurrence back then in that situation that you're a single mom and some man comes along, you're going to marry him for convenience. That's, uh, I feel like that's the most unusual story. So for her to relate it is not necessarily as shocking as it would be nowadays. 
Yeah. I feel like that's not... That it's I don't know that I think it's shocking. shocking. I just I think, think it's, it's personal. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. I think that has to do with nuns and midwives. There is a confessional aspect to to their relationship. And, uh, I mean, it's a doctor-patient relationship, but it's they're not doctors, but it's that kind of relationship. And it's a religious relationship that despite the fact that the the nurses aren't nuns, there is still an aspect to them that seems religious to people mm-hmm. and they want to confess. And then back in the Jenny and Joe, and Jenny goes to get the biscuits and there's all these bugs. And it reminds me of in the first episode, like still Jenny is not great at keeping her revulsion under wraps. Yes. Like she's she part of the community, but she has not figured out how to like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> And her over and like her reaction when she gets back is just like there were these bugs, it was everywhere, it was awful, blah blah blah. And the other nurses who've been there are like, "You haven't seen that yet. You haven't noticed that. That's that's all over the place." Yeah, you've. I'm surprised you haven't seen it before. She's not. She's expecting them to commiserate when in fact they are more like matter of fact about it. Yeah, the reaction, she comes in being like, I have seen the most horrible thing. And they all respond like, uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the way she like, well, I'm never going back. And Sister Julianne is a bit uh, harsh with her. This is like, like the harshest we've the seen, har- Sister exactly, Julianne. Exactly, it's the harshest we've seen her. And I feel like she says more in the future. Your but... comfort is not important. Mm-hmm. You have a job to do with Mr. Collett and you will do it. Yeah. Just like your comfort is not important. And I like that too, though, that like it's the same content really as what she said in the first episode to uh, to Jenny about like people do live it like this and we are here to help them. Mm-hmm. And it's put differently. But like, again, I feel like it's such an important sentiment for the show and for the uh, job of a midwife, for the job of a medical professional but also a religious professional but also like a caregiver of any kind Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your comfort is not important Mm -hmm. and that's like a really unusual thing to hear it is (laughs) people don't say that very often i like that jenny is doesn't just get that told that once yeah that this isn't something that you're like oh i've just learned it the one time and now i'm don't i'm not repelled by and repulsed by the smell and the bugs and everything of course she's still put off by it yeah but of course sister julianne is going to say the same thing which is get back to work yep and again we have the theme the seeing theme right Mm -hmm. that like these bugs have been there before but jenny hasn't seen them and if jenny hasn't seen them before it's not because they weren't there any other house that she went to it's because she hasn't been looking and she's seeing something in the neighborhood that she hasn't seen before. And when she started the episode saying her eyes were open, her eyes have more opening to do. Exactly. exactly. Just like in the second episode, uh, she says, you must think me terribly naive. And like, she says, I've seen poverty. And Father mm-hmm. Joe in, in episode two is like, I don't think you have. And here it's again, I've seen how people live. I don't think you have. Yeah. And it's the seeing like the bugs were there. I feel like the bugs also are metaphorical because mm-hmm. the bugs are there whether she moves the plate or not. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And it's the seeing that makes all this trouble. Mm-hmm. And she's, she ate biscuits off that plate before. She's asking for more biscuits. Yeah. And so she's already eaten from that plate. It's only when she moves it that she finds the bugs. <laughs> yes, I know it's gross. You're like gagging when I'm saying this. Um, <laughs> yeah, bugs are gross. <laughs> this This moment, though... Let's not skate by it too quickly because Sister Monica Joan, while they're having this conversation about bugs, says, I have often wanted to be an insect. I have great reverence for them. I would love to have, like, a slender thorax and wings. And it's just like... And then Sister Evangelina is like, who would want to be an insect? And Monica Joan is like, they are God's creatures too. And then <laughs> she's like, I would have thought you of all people would appreciate a slender thorax. 
Oh, snap. <laughs> and I just wrote in my notes, like, Sister Monica Joan, in all caps. Uh, and Bernadette says, behave. Yeah. But they're like, it's funny. Uh, it's one of my, it's a, it's a funny part of the episode. But I really like, again, this contrast between Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan that is not just about, like, being reading Virgil or not caring about Virgil, like being kind of uh, educated and snobby and quoting Virgil in Latin. Mm -hmm. It's also like, insects are also God's creatures Mm -hmm. versus like, insects infect our patients, just like, get over it. Like... The practical, they're both valuable perspectives on the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I like the conflict because I don't think that we are solidly on either one of their sides against the other one. We're maybe more on Sister Evangelina's side in that moment because like, you, you of all people would like a slender thorax, like you're going a bit far, Sister Monica Joan. Absolutely. But the the idea that like, I would like to be an insect and they are also God's creatures, Mm -hmm. like that is an actual... Uh, insight. Mm-hmm. The back to a little bit more about Sister Julian. Uh, the conversation that Sister Julian and Jenny had in the first episode, where Jenny is scrubbing her hands after touching syphilis, and in this one where she's like itching herself after touching after seeing bugs, is again like Sister Julian says both times like this can't infect you. Yeah. That you're not going to get syphilis by being near syphilis. You're not going to get... These bugs don't spread to humans. The Jenny can experience the East End and experience this poverty, but she actually isn't going to be infected by it. She's not going to suddenly pick up Cockney rhyming slang. She's not... Like, you know, it's like a little bit of... You know, you're never actually going to be part of this neighborhood. Yeah. Because you can't, you aren't going to be infected by it either. Hmm. In both a good way and a bad way. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. In the night, a boy named Jimmy comes to visit Jenny. He begs to stay overnight because he has no other place to stay. She puts him in the boiler room under much duress. In the boiler room, there's a cage of birds as well. <laughs> She finds him gone in the morning, but Fred does tell her the story of the birds, which are quails. Winnie and Ted fight about him being overprotective. Jenny visits Joe Collett again, finding his neighbor unfriendly. The two of them share a drink, and he discovers his invitation to a reunion of soldiers. Jenny offers to take him. Later, Jimmy and Jenny sit, and Jimmy, Jenny, and Joe in this episode, by the way. I know, I'm like... I wasn't going to say this, but since you're interrupting your own recap, I'll chime in to be like, Jimmy and Jenny is a little much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Jimmy and Jenny sit and chat about work and life. Jimmy asking again to sleep in the boiler room. In the clinic, Ted comes to visit and talks about his worries about Winnie. Trixie and Cynthia reassure him that he just needs to support his wife. Jenny and Jimmy take Joe to the soldier's reunion in in his wheelchair and he's met with a round of applause and is very happy joe says that jimmy is sweet on jenny but she won't hear it time passes and jenny stows jimmy in the boiler room chummy and constable noakes make eyes at each other and jenny discovers fred's venture to make toffee apples jenny finds out they're evicting joe from his building and sending him to an old folks home st mark's Jenny is upset, but Sister Julienne tells her there's nothing they can do. Jimmy barely misses getting caught by Sister Julienne, and so she invites him to stay for lunch. Elsewhere, Winnie goes into labor. I want to start. Can we start by talking about uh, Fred and his quails? Yeah, sure. And his toffee apples, too. But just, I'm, I'm... I don't know if I have that much to say. I just want to like that scene with Jenny and Fred and him being like, I started with potatoes and then there's no money in spuds. So I went on to onions and onions naturally made me think of chickens. And it's just like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. That conversation is hilarious. Yeah. And I really love it. And then like a few, little bit later when he's like, I suppose you're wondering what I'm doing with all these apples. 
not really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to tell you anyway, and here it is. Yeah, exactly. I do feel like, I don't know, like we all know a friend who just like, like talks about whatever without you caring and like uh, has weird ideas of like, this. I have this crazy money making scheme. And you're like, do you? Do you though? <laughs> quails people are always talking about chickens going on about them like they're the they can do no wrong are they do people talk about chickens like they can do no wrong your perspective on the world fred i am not sure about it i also just like i know that like quails cost more money for less meat than a chicken and like that's a whole thing about quails are fancier but i don't really see where is Fred, who is Fred selling these to? Like, these EastEnders who are, like, in poverty and starving are not going to buy, like, well, I'm going to buy a fancy quail over a chicken to feed my family of 20. Like, yeah. who, I guess maybe he's venturing out of the East End to sell these quails? I just don't No, I think get this it. is why I, this is a big thing about his, why his business ventures do not succeed. Yeah. Because he starts from the seller's perspective and not from the buyer's perspective. Yes, absolutely. And when you're doing a business, you have to think about what people want, not just what you can provide. Mm-hmm. The story of Jimmy staying overnight in the boiler room does come from a real-life story of Jenny mm-hmm. uh, in the books that they did have... Uh, in the nurses, I think the story that comes later of them in the nurses home where there's several boys who stayed overnight and she, and she wonders aloud in the, in the book, like how on earth did we get away with that? Because we would have been immediately expelled. We would have been immediately kicked out if that had been discovered. Right. And this. And like, I, I'm just like, Jimmy, you are going to get Jenny into trouble. I know. You are, I like, I don't, I'm not very fond of Jimmy in this episode. No, me neither, me neither. Uh, I feel like he does not respect her job at all. No. He teases her about it and he... And we see a bit more of that in the future, but even here, Mm -hmm. in the future of this episode, I mean, uh, even here, like, he, she's going to get fired in disgrace. Yeah, exactly. On the other hand, it's kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) And here's my question, okay? When you said he narrowly avoids being caught by Sister Julianne. Mm -hmm. Sister Julianne's smile seems kind of knowing to me. Later on. when she, Oh, yeah, when she invites him for lunch. Yeah. Yeah, she knows. Right? That's not just me. She, She like... Or she suspects something is going on. Right. She might not have guessed that he was staying overnight, but she definitely is like, he did not just stumble by. Yeah. He's been here. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're not, neither of them are very good at hiding it. No, not at all. (laughs) I feel like this is one of the funniest, I mean, there's only three episodes that we've talked about so far, but this episode has a lot of very funny moments. And like, one of the moments, well, there's like a series of moments of Jimmy hiding in the boiler room and near misses and whatever. And one of the near misses is uh, when Sister Bernadette hears noises in the boiler room and is going to check on it, right? Uh, And Jenny is just like talking like Fred at Sister Bernadette about gardens. We need to have a garden. And Sister Bernadette's just like, I couldn't care less what you're talking about. Please stop prattling about vegetables. (laughs) She says it with a big smile and a very cheerful voice. Yeah. But it's wonderful. Yeah. Please stop prattling on. I could not care less. <laughs> Taking Joe to this uh, soldier's reunion thing mm-hmm. is... Uh, I feel like they set it up or maybe it was just expectations that something was going to go wrong with it. Hmm. That I felt like he was going to either like collapse at it or not be included or not. But no, it's the opposite. He gets there. He is included and honored and respected. They want to hear his stories. It's like the best time of his life. It's really touching. It's so touching that Jenny has brought him to that. Yeah, I agreed. I wondered whether something was going to go wrong around that, too. Mm-hmm. 
and like whether Jenny invites Jimmy to come along too. And I was like, is that going to be okay? But like, no, it was totally okay. It's all fine. Yeah, everything was exactly. fine. Is <laughs> <laughs> kind of going wrong or not? Love is causing potential trouble in this little section for both Jenny and Chummy. Mm-hmm. Chummy who keeps running into. Constable Noakes and being like, oh, oh, oh dear. Well, <laughs> gosh. And they're both being like, yep, love is causing trouble. And the song plays, I've never felt more like singing the blues yeah. than when you leave me. <laughs> at the lunch, they all share a laugh over an old story of men in a broom cupboard at, at, the, at the convent. And Jimmy embarrasses Jenny by saying she should have been a nun. Trixie and Cynthia arrive to del- deliver Winnie's baby, but she's still in great distress, causing her labor to stall. The baby's heartbeat is dropping, and they call for Dr. Turner. Jenny goes to Joe's place, but finds that he has been moved out already. Winnie needs to push, but is scared and won't. She finally blurts out that she's worried the baby will be black. She gives birth, and the child's in distress for a moment, but recovers. He is obviously not Ted's child. Winnie admits to sleeping with another man just once early on in their marriage. To everyone's shock, Ted doesn't mention anything about the baby's skin color, and follows, falls in love with him immediately, naming him after himself. Back at Nanata's house... Constable Noakes arrives to see Fred and warn him that the, about the toffee apples and slaughtered quails have been in the same space, and he's going to be in trouble very soon. Sister Evangelina is frustrated with the reserved flirting and makes a date for Chummy and Noakes. Jimmy comes to visit Jenny and apologize. He gives her a box of chocolate and leaves. Jenny f- visits Joe to find he's not being looked after at St. Mark's. She takes him to smoke his pipe on the steps, and they chat about love again. The nuns sing Compline before the ending of the day, and Paul and Jan cry. (laughs) (laughs) Mature Jenny narrates that Joe got worse and his legs had to be amputated. Jenny visits him one last time. The nuns sing, Joe dies, and Jenny attends his burial. Joe leaves the glasses and the drink to Jenny, which she shares with Jimmy at his grave. Ted pushes the pram with his baby. Mature Jenny narrates that he asked no questions, so no one else did. Jenny and Jimmy toast Joe. So this lunch with... Let's go back to the lunch. (laughs) The nuns, like, that's a lot, both heavy and light in Mm -hmm. that section. The lunch with all the nuns and Jimmy. First of all, a couple of things in there, but I'm going to start with Chummy coming in and saying, Sorry I'm late. I just found out my old friend Binky's getting spliced at last. And I'm like, I have no idea what you just said, but it sure sounded posh. <laughs> I listened to that line like five different times. I turned on the subtitles. I was like, and then she's kind of embarrassed. She's like, oh gosh, because she sees Jimmy. And I'm like, is this like a euphemism for something? Does she, is she saying just like, I was going to the bathroom or... Like, but no, but it seems <laughs> like... <laughs> Okay, that, that is my new euphemism forever. For I was in the bathroom. It's going to be my good friend Binky's getting spliced. I can't, I can't think of what that might refer to, but, you know, something bathroom stuff. Something, exactly. <laughs> Taking the kids to the pool. My old friend, friend Binky's getting spliced. <laughs> I mean, spliced is a, uh, (laughs) spliced is one of the most fascinating English words because it is a word that means its own antonym. It's a word that means its own uh, opposite. It means both join together and separate. Uh, Just like dust can mean apply dust to something or remove dust from something. Right. That's not about call the midwife, but those kinds of words are so cool. So spliced means either be cut in half or join together. So if her 
friend Binky's getting spliced. Her friend Binky is either getting something amputated or getting married. Yeah, so it seems likely that she's talking about her friend getting married. Yeah. But it was so bizarre. This, like, what is she saying? Sometimes Chummy is just like, what? <laughs> Good friend Binky's getting spliced so at last. last. I'm totally going to eat that's like... <laughs> Your new euphemism. My new euphemism for bathroom stuff. <laughs> The the Netflix version versus the uh, BBC version in this one cuts a giant chunk out of this lunch that I find so disappointing. If you watch the Netflix version, you'll, you miss this whole story where Sister Julian talks about... Well, Jimmy first says that he hid in the closet or hid was hid in Jenny's old nursing place... And, and Jenny does not like him telling that story no. because, like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Make it more obvious, Jimmy. But then Sister Julian talks about four men in a broom closet years ago, and Sister Evangelina joins in the laughter and, like, cannot, much like you just a moment ago, <laughs> cannot <laughs> hold out in out her laughter. She just, like, kills herself laughing, and they try to get her to tell the story, and then Sister Monica Joan quotes something. Sister Monica Joan says, I shall remember the hours that I spent. Uh, I shall remember and not repent. It sound, I, can't, I wrote down some of it and not all of it because I'm dumb. But it sounds like she's quoting something and I looked it up and I can't find any source from it other than it's in Jenny Lee, Jennifer Lee's book, Jennifer okay. Bortha's book. So it's uh, poetry, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know what it's from. And it doesn't sound like, well, it sounds like something like Keats that she has quoted before. That's where, yeah. that's what it sounds like. But I don't know. It also could just be like her splicing together her own, huh, spliced, spliced. <laughs> splicing together her own poetry. Uh, but that kind of puts a damper on Sister Evangelina telling the story at all, and so she doesn't. But and she tells Sister Evangelina, don't tell the story, you debase your memories by yeah. telling them. Yeah, and it exactly. feels like it's a rare time when, like, they play that not like this is getting a dig at Sister Evangelina. Sister Evangelina's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. She doesn't seem, like, offended by that. Mm-hmm. And we never hear the story. We, we never hear the story. And that that part is cut out in the Netflix version, but it's a real moment of humanity for Sister Evangelina to have her laugh like that. And so it's too bad to have that cut out. Because we've seen so far a lot of Sister Evangelina being quite gruff and, like, mad. Yeah, exactly. And eye-rolling and, yeah, yeah. practical. I mean, mad, gruff and mad and eye isn't practical, necessarily. I said and practical, I didn't say oh, it was okay. practical. And it even is a little is moment practical. of uh, solidarity between Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina, even mm. though they, they're not laughing at the same thing. Like, I feel like this is a moment of them connecting. Yeah. Which I would miss if it was cut out. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Jimmy is a tosser. <laughs> Yeah, he, I mean, he's just obviously, he's in love with Jenny, and she's not in love with him, and he can't handle it. Yeah. And that doesn't excuse his behavior, but that's the reason for his behavior. He's like, she must be, a, she, I thought she was going to be a nun. And nobody laughs. Exactly, because uh, guess what, Jimmy? To nuns, becoming a nun is not the punchline to a joke. Yeah. So, yeah, like, it's like it's he's total tosser, disrespectful to Jenny, but also to everyone else there. Yeah, exactly. Which he has been all along, like sleeping in the boiling room, boiler room is disrespectful to Jenny and also everyone else there. Yeah. Ah, Jimmy. Jimmy. Sister Monica Joan thinks he's very handsome and sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll concede it. Yes. But it doesn't make up for being a tosser. Mm hmm. Um, so Winnie's birth here, um, the idea that emotional distress will stall labor is a real thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, I can't remember which book it was. I've read a lot of these birthing books that they reference on the show, like Birth Without mm-hmm. Fear and, and whatnot when I was pregnant. Um, 
one of the things, there is a physiological response to fear. Yep. When we're afraid of something, we our sphincters contract, our things uh, happen to our bodies. And so when women are afraid in labor of various things, that can cause real problems with giving birth. So Winnie here doesn't want to give birth to this baby because she doesn't want to see if it's going to be black. And she's uh, not necessarily consciously like holding it in, like women can't, will eventually give birth, but she might make it stillborn because of this. Because fear makes because your body this fear react. Makes your body in a way react. That's not good and for so, the birth. yeah, and so the baby's heartbeat is dropping and it needs to be born, and she's not willing to push, willing to make, willing to allow her body its natural course of birth in. Modern medicine, uh, this likely would result in a C-section. Hmm. Things like like one of the things that natural childbirth advocates talk about is the more you know about what's happening, the less likely you are to be afraid. And so often women who don't know anything about labor or who feel very afraid to give birth will end up having emergency C-sections which kind of perpetuates the cycle a bit of what why birth is scary. And it makes sense, right? Like if you're afraid of giving birth, that actually slows the the process the down. labor and then that makes it more painful and more dangerous and which would make you naturally afraid. Yeah. And so that's not the case of like all all C sections ever, all births ever, but that is a case that if that happens, there is a emotional, physical connection when it comes to birth. And that is what's happening here with Winnie. Hmm. And she says, I'm scared the baby is going to be black. And it's like, Trixie and Cynthia and me in the audience. I've seen this episode before. But me in the audience all go, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything just clicks right into place. And all of her behavior through the whole episode suddenly makes sense. Yeah. Why and... she's been like pulling away from Ted and why she's like mad at him for no reason because she's scared and uh, guilty mm-hmm. and uh, full of anxiety and fear because of that. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, man, I just like, it's specific case of like a baby is going to be born, but it's like the ultimate uh, metaphor of like, I am afraid of this thing and there's I, it's going to happen. And it just is coming, and I can't do anything about it, and it just is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that feels so familiar. I mean, not familiar. That feels so relatable, that in a dread of, like, I know this bad consequence is going to come, and often in a smaller way, Mm -hmm. but, like... Even worse than, like, a scary thing, but, like, I made a mistake, and there's going to be a consequence for it, and I know it's going to come, and now I'm in the time before, and I can't stop the consequence from coming because it's too late now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know, I just feel like that's very relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, she describes, she's like, I got drunk one night and spent the night with a navvy, and I made sure the subtitles were on tried to get the the word that she says there because i was like is this some like you know old-fashioned racist word is this what does this mean and it's a term for it's not to do with him being black it's a a laborer of a railroad laborer it's a short for navigational worker i assumed like it had to do with uh the ocean like i guess i assumed it had to do with the navy 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 um Short form of navigator, so it's actually now that I see this navigational engineer for the U.S. for railroads in the U.K. It would be a navigator, like a navigator a navi- on a ship. so on a ship, yeah, because they're on a port. So right, this would be navigator on a ship. Yeah, so it actually has nothing to do with him being black. He just is black. <laughs> yep, that's because uh... this baby is very black <laughs> like yes this does not even look like a mixed race baby this is just like a straight up black baby when it comes out which is he's super cute but yeah yeah and it's i like, like very much not ted's baby oh man and then the the uh conversation between 
Winnie and Trixie again. She, Trixie's like, I'm sure everything will be okay. And Winnie's like, no offense, sweetheart, but you live and work in a convent. <laughs> and Trixie just has to be like, yeah, okay, fair point. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. She makes this face that's like, yeah, oh, you know, true. Yeah. This is the real world. But the real world turns out Ted doesn't see it, refuses to see it, doesn't mention it, whatever. Regardless, he they're all just waiting for him to react. And, and he can I, by the way, could you not give them like a little bit of privacy? Is it really necessary for Trixie and Cynthia and Dr. Turner to all be in the room when Ted learns that the baby isn't his? Uh, I think that they are because they're they're afraid of like that he maybe it is necessary that they all be there depending think, on how he yeah, reacts. Yeah, I think this situation in general would be because yeah, okay, Fair there might enough. be violence. It isn't in this case necessary at all, and they probably should leave. But for this situation, they would, especially Doctor Turner, would stay in the room in case of violence against her. This is the f- second time, by the way, that we've seen. Dr. Turner gets called and then doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're getting true. a habit of like, there's trouble, call Dr. Turner. Dr. Turner comes in and is like, hmm, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is done. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's earning his calls. Anyway. No, it's true. I, I feel like uh, there, that better happen pretty soon where like he gets called and is actually helpful because otherwise it's a bit silly to have him constantly be called to do nothing. Because he would do things sometimes. Yeah, But here again we have the theme of seeing. And I think this mm-hmm. is like the central moment. Yes. Not I think. I'm going to strongly argue. This is the central moment of the theme of seeing in this episode. Mm-hmm. That Ted... Like they talk like, is he just so excited that he didn't notice? And I think that's like... There's no way. <laughs> like, yeah, That's exactly. implausible that yeah. he didn't notice. Even the way he plays it. Mm-hmm. He comes in, he sees the baby, he's like, I'm so excited! He sees it and is taken aback. Yeah. And then you can see him, like, gently take it, him, it's a boy, and put its finger... I think it's really well played, well mm-hmm. performed, I mean. Yeah, kudos to that actor for getting all the subtleties of that. Yeah. And I don't believe for a second that he, you know, doesn't notice. Mm-hmm. I think he chooses not to see, but it's yeah. about seeing, and he chooses not to see that Edward Jr. isn't his, uh, in the same way that, like, so, so far <clears throat> in the episode, we have Jenny can't help but see the mess and the bugs in Joe's house, but then she eventually stops seeing it, and the nuns don't see Jimmy, and Jimmy doesn't see Jenny's feelings, uh, just because they're private doesn't mean I don't have them, she says. Mm-hmm. And then Ted chooses not to see Edward Jr. That Edward Jr. isn't his. And then uh, later on in this section, the nuns sing uh, From All Ill Dreams Defend Our Eyes. Mm. And then they sing sing the Nunc Dimittis, uh, which is also about seeing. My eyes have seen thy salvation. I'll talk about the Nunc Dimittis in a second. But the part about seeing, like it's Mm -hmm. about again my eyes and what I've seen. And I was listening recently to someone talk about like why so much in fiction the evil characters uh, see things. Mm, Have insights. Have insights. And the good ones don't. And is that like just about good people are more polite or whatever? I think this is an example of like an actual profound case of when uh goodness and love is about not seeing Hmm. in in ted's case yeah about not seeing not about being stupid or blind or naive like it's a different meaning of what you mean by love is blind it is not that uh It's not that he doesn't actually see that uh, Edward Jr. isn't his. Mm -hmm. So he chooses not to see it because he chooses not to care because he chooses not to see the things that'll stop him from loving his son. Yeah. And it makes me think of all things. It makes me think of an episode of uh, How I Met Your Mother. Hmm. Remember that one episode of How I Met Your Mother? There is an episode of How I Met Your Mother where they all have annoying habits. Oh, yeah. And then uh, by the end of the episode... 
the narrator who's from the future says like but when you really care about someone you stop seeing the things that annoy you Mm -hmm. and it's a clever thing for that show because now they don't have to keep having the characters have these annoying habits because it's all being told told by an unreliable narrator i feel like it's the same insight here that Mm -hmm. like when you love someone you don't see and it's not just actually you choose not to see yeah the it's you don't see the things that would stop you from loving them. Mm-hmm. And that when Jenny sees the bugs in Joe's apartment, that's not seeing the truth. Mm. It's seeing a detail that distracts her from the truth. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really see him when she sees the bugs in his apartment. Yeah. And when she goes to the apartment and everything is gone... She, he's not, you know, it's, it's much worse, you know, like, cause there was, it was full of clutter. It was dirty and messy, mm-hmm. but once it's empty, it's no longer a home. It's no longer like it might be clean now, but it's not. And the clean apartment there. is worse than the dirty one. Yeah, exactly. It's much worse. Yeah. And the place he goes to is all clean. But it's much, much worse because it's not a loving environment and it's not his home. And without his home, I mean, let's follow Joe's story. Let's follow Joe's story. Without his Um, home, he doesn't have the care. Without his home, he loses his legs. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Without his home, he loses his life. Yeah. And without without his home, he loses his legs. Without his legs, he loses his life. Yeah. And it's... This show is often very, like, we have said ham-fistedly pro-NHS, it's the greatest thing ever. But that doesn't mean uh, medical progress is always the greatest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And, like, taking him, demolishing the tenements and taking him into a nursing home instead of home visits is medical is is progress and medical progress even yeah right it's a cleaner institution that you might expect is more like we're moving forward in how we take care of people and it's not good no uh where he goes saint mark's it's a bit unclear exactly what it is but he refers to it as an old workhouse uh, this story of Joe is in the book. It is based on real story of Je- from Jenny's life directly. The um, the workhouses are something we'll get into in future episodes, I think, even more. But just to mention that what those are were debtors' prisons, basically. Yeah. If you could not afford to live, then you'd be put in a workhouse and you'd work and it was everyone an entire family mother daughter but mother father children would all go into the workhouse and have deplorable conditions and be forced to work long hours with no real wages it was slave labor and they were shut down thank goodness after like you know the dickensian era era is like the workhouse yeah. era Scrooge they were shut talks down about workhouses in yeah. christmas carol they are shut down, but nothing uh, is done with the people who experience the trauma of them. And these buildings are terrifying. So yeah. for him to be going to a place that used to be a workhouse is like going, being like, you're going to live in this old prison. It's hmm. not a prison anymore. Okay. Don't worry about it. It's not a prison anymore. And you're like, yeah, but I'm still in a cell. Yeah. Where I can't really get out. So how is it different from a prison? How is it different from a workhouse that used to be there? Yeah. So it's terrifying in a lot of ways. Oh, it was heartbreaking. His story. Mm-hmm. At the end of his story. Yeah, it is. Oh, when Jenny goes to visit him and he says that my legs are itching and his legs aren't there. His phantom itches and that's just... Oh, and she cries and he tells her that it's going to be okay. Yeah, and it is not. Yeah. And it isn't okay. The story of him wanting to smoke and not being able to, that is directly lifted from Jenny's memoirs that she goes to visit him 
and you know he used to smoke a pipe and he he's she's like can you smoke well i'm not allowed to smoke in my room i'm allowed to smoke on the stairs but no one or on the balcony but no one will show me where the balcony is mm. so i ask someone you know can i go smoke they sure smoke. on the balcony but he doesn't know where to go and where to find that and he can barely walk so right. he's not going to go wandering the halls there's no signs pointing to the balcony yeah and so she finds him and takes him out and shows him where it is. But he doesn't have that. And you think about all the other people in that situation that don't have Jenny Lee coming to visit them. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. It is sad. A little less sad uh, when Sister Evangelina asks Chummy out on a date on uh, Sergeant Noakes' behalf. Yes, that's a great moment. <laughs> Also hilarious. That How marvelous for both of you. Now I can have my cake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's just like... I I really gather, too, that a lot of young nurses have come through. And we're <laughs> going to see that, you know, right. as this show goes on, nurses, young nurses come and go because they're there for a period and they move on with their lives. And, and honestly, women in this era would move on with their lives by getting married. And so Sister, Sister Benjamin is like, just like, over with. I'm just sick of it. Just, you know, like it's meet each other and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so. I'm like the symbol, the like, sweet. I don't know symbolism, the motif of cake on this show. Mm-hmm. Because like cake is important. Very important. Very important. Don't bother me with your uh, failed attempts at romance just like give me my cake and get out (laughs) yeah exactly i'm enjoying my cake (laughs) and then uh since we're back at back there jimmy comes back and apologizes Mm -hmm. and i have to say i haven't been very impressed with jimmy but at least he knows how to apologize because his apology is a real apology Mm -hmm. and it's like i'm sorry i didn't repay you well for the kindness you've shown me it was a joke meant to be a joke and it was a bad one. Yeah. And like, I like this is an apology that does not excuse himself or say, I'm sorry that you were offended. Mm-hmm. It's like, I told something I intended to be a joke and it was a bad joke and it was a, not a good way to repay you and I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. it's like, all right, well. Okay. Good n- then. <laughs> good. Now I see, you know, at least something redeemable about Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Jimmy with his smug little smile. Oh, then he comes and helps to and comforts Jenny when her friend yes. dies as well. That's also that a great too, moment of returning. And that, that moment, by the way, when Jenny's sitting on a bench and Jimmy meets her, the bench has a poem inscribed on it. Hmm. Uh, the kiss of a son for pardon, the song of the birds for mirth. One is nearer God's heart in a garden than anywhere else on earth. And it is, that's a stanza of a longer poem. Mm-hmm. That bench is not just in a garden, it's in a cemetery. Yeah. When we zoom out. Uh, and just, I don't know. That's I cool. wanted to draw attention to that poem on mm-hmm. the bench in the cemetery that we're near God's heart in a garden. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. But <laughs> So the moment in my recap when I said uh, the nurses <clears throat> sing and Paul and Jan cry, uh, they sing before the ending of the day, and I know you'll probably get into it, but I just wanted to mention that song in particular is from Compline, and we used to sing it many, many years ago in a church we attended, and it's been a song we've sung as a lullaby to our children. As a, It is a song that both of us have very well memorized, and so hearing it beautifully sung in this episode of Call the Midwife was emotional and for with me. the same melody that we sing the same it, melody exactly before the ending of the day creative the creator of the world we pray that with thy wanted favor thou wouldst be our guard and keeper now and what I really have to say about that prayer is just basically what I've already said that from all ill dreams defend our eyes it's about sight it's about Compline Compline is the prayer that we see, the prayer service that we keep seeing on this show. Um, It's a Compline prayer I know very well, and I love it. Uh, And it's, again, this mingling of sleep and death in the Compline prayer that we prepare as we uh, are about to sleep from all ill ill dreams, defend our eyes from nightly fears and fantasies. That is a prayer to 
to protect us from literal bad dreams, but also it's a prayer to protect us from fears in our lives, and it's also a prayer to protect us as we fall into the sleep of death from ill dreams. And it uh, comes over Joe diminishing in health. And then the second prayer that they sing, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. It's called the Nunc Dimittis, which is just Latin for now dismiss, which is the first line in Latin. Mm-hmm. Now dismiss your servant. Um, it comes from the Gospel of Luke, where Simeon, an old man, has been told, has been promised by God that he won't die until he has seen the Messiah. And then after he meets Jesus, Simeon sings this song, which basically means, now that I've seen what you promised, you, I can die. Mm-hmm. It's also about seeing my eyes have seen their salvation. It's an example of how death and sleep are entwined in the Compline service. And it's coming over Joe dying. Mm-hmm. Joe also being dismissed in peace, Hope one hopes. Mm-hmm. And what has he seen? Uh, and it connects to this theme of like, what has Joe seen in his life? Not just what has he experienced, but what has he seen out of life? And what does, of that does he share with Jenny? Mm-hmm. And it, he, this is the first episode too, when Jenny's talking about Joe and we're thinking about being dismissed in peace because we've seen God's salvation. And it's the first time that Jenny connects the end of life with the beginning of life. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, and that's not the last time. That gets connected. I mean, Jenny's not the only one to connect that. That mm-hmm. gets connect. That's not an original thought of Jenny's. But this is not the last time that those things are going to be connected. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> it's not a spoiler to say that the real Jenny moved on from midwifery to end of life care. And so I think that it would be good of us to track mm-hmm. in this show the times that she is not just dealing with the midwifery side, but the nursing of people at the end of their lives. And how often does that happen in this show Yeah, as we go on? Because I think that'll be interesting to keep track of. Yeah. And this seems like this is the spark of that, Mm -hmm. at least in the show, whether it is in the real Jenny's life, like whatever. But in the show, it's like she specifically connects. I'd been at the beginning of lives and here I was at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know what to make of that yet. Yeah. Uh, slightly less heavy. Ted with the baby and and mature Jenny saying, you know, because he asked no questions, nobody else did. And like, I'm like, baloney. like hell they didn't. <laughs> Maybe I can, I can suspend my disbelief to say that Joe, uh, that, sorry, not Joe that no one talked directly to Ted yes. about the baby, that people, that he was so like projected such an air of, I don't care. This is my baby that no one said anything to him, but of course they talked behind his of back. There is people asked questions. zero chance that they didn't. But I do the baby, the child's life. Yeah, for sure. But I do absolutely love the phrase like Ted loved and asked no questions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the end note of the episode that like she starts the episode with uh, my eyes were opened and she ends the episode with Ted's eyes are not opened mm-hmm. uh, or his okay. eyes are opened to what they need to be opened to. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to be. And, and it's not beneficial to be seeing all the problems in a person you see what you love about them and you love them and ask no questions. And I don't think that actually loving someone and asking no questions is a good policy for like, you know, communication is important in any relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a romantic significant other, don't follow love and ask no questions as a uh, <laughs> blueprint yeah. for how to build a successful <laughs> romantic relationship. Definitely not. But, uh, how to build a successful parent relationship Mm. ask no questions in the sense of like what are the reasons why i shouldn't love you yeah it certainly is a blueprint for how to build a uh, 
good parent relationship, mm-hmm. how to be a good parent. Yeah. And it seems like Ted already took in Winnie and children that weren't his own. Yeah. And probably knew on some level that she didn't love him yeah. in that way, but was willing to do the right thing and do the good thing and be loving. And so he just continues to do that. And what she and it's says... Al- it was already in his character. Yeah. What she says about him before they... When she's talking about before they get married, he's kind and patient. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see of him still. And he's like one of these too-good-for-the-world characters. Yep. But you love to see it. I, I love do. to see it. So, Jan? Yes. What was your favorite part? Of this episode, I think... My favorite part was, and I'm saying this slowly so I can think of it. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite part was um, I mean, it's hard to say when it's like a sad part being my favorite, but I think it was the nuns singing now let us thou thy servant depart in peace over the grave, over the sadness, because it was both beautiful and heart-wrenching and deeply significant. And mm-hmm. so I felt like that was my favorite moment of this show. How about you, Paul? What was your favorite? My favorite was Ted coming in and seeing his, seeing their son saying I don't know much about babies but I can see where this is the most beautiful baby in the world (laughs) and just like because of what that represents for I mean it's about his character and it's about the baby's life that's gonna happen Mm -hmm. is being decided in that moment Mm -hmm. and it's like about Winnie's life after that is being decided in that moment and it's uh terrifying that both of their lives depend so much on his on on his what he decides to react Mm -hmm. but it's also when someone has that kind of unreasonable power over many people's happiness i (laughs) it's good to see them be kind and patient and loving and it's really meaningful Hmm. and it ripples through the rest of the episode forwards and back of like what the episode's about my second favorite part is when sister monica jones says i think you of all people would like a slender thorax though <laughs> that's true my, my second my second favorite is is chummy and noakes talking to each other all the different parts that really talk to each other and are cute and flirty because i stay on a romantic ship. if you want to pick a funny part or a moving part as exactly. favorite and I picked a moving, but yeah. the funny, this this episode really cracked me up. Yep, there's some really good moments. Well, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, if you enjoy our Call the Midwife podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. If you want to chat back with us and tell us how we do, tell us your thoughts, <laughs> tell us about your uh, experience with childbirth. Seriously. Yeah. And if you uh, would like to guest on our show about any particular episode, let us know. You can do that by emailing poplar at clockworksacademy.com or by adding us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can also support our show and our other endeavors at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So thanks for listening. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs> <laughs>